0: Welcome to St. Martin in the Fields, and welcome to Great Sacred Music. Special welcome to those joining us online. Frances Jane von Alstein is better known by her maiden name, Fanny Crosby. She wrote no fewer than 8,000 hymns and songs, which became the linchpin of the tradition of revival music associated with Moody and Sankey's songbooks. She lived from 1820 to 1915 and died in February uh, 1915, so we're celebrating her, well, you can do the maths, but about 107th uh, anniversary of her death today. Publishers were reluctant to to have a a preponderance of compositions by one author in their hymnals, so she came up with a solution. She used 200... Pseudonyms, how, how do you keep track of all of your pseudonyms? So that's how she came to be known by her maiden name, uh, more commonly than by her married name, unusual for the time. She was blind from birth. According to her biographer, had it not been for her affliction, she might not have, have so good an education or have so great an influence and certainly not so fine a memory. So the great debate about uh, Fanny Crosby is really one about snobbery. Uh, She's not really considered a poet, but she was extraordinarily prolific and popular. Uh, The piece we've just heard, for example, has got roughly the same theological outlook as Gerard Manley Hopkins' Windhover, but no one's writing PhD theses about inscape the way they are for Gerard Manley Hopkins. They're just slightly poo-pooing her as a bit down market. So today is an experiment where you can make a judgment after 35 minutes whether you think when you set her words to the quality of music that we're hearing today, you suddenly think, well, maybe I don't need to be so snobbish about Fanny Crosby after all. We'll leave the judgment with you. I'll remind you at the end. In 1873, she was visiting her friend Phoebe Knapp when Phoebe was having a pipe organ installed. Happens to all of us, doesn't it? I'm sure you've had pipe organs installed in all the different places you've lived. Phoebe played Fanny a new tune on the piano and Fanny wrote the hymn Blessed Assurance to it. Her inspiration was uh, verse 23 of Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it was printed in the July 1873 edition of Guide to Holiness and Revival Miscellany. They had really catchy titles for their for their hymn books back in 1873. <clears throat> well, it's our tradition of great sacred music that at the start and at the end we remain seated and the voices stand and lead us, but we join in singing. And so we, if you find on the inside of your handouts, you can find the words to her perhaps most famous hymn, Blessed uh, Assurance. We'll remain seated, voices stand and lead us as we sing this together. Well, if you just get caught up in what I've described as the snobbery and the class issues around uh, Fanny Crosby's music, you could miss something uh, rather more significant about her influence on the late 19th century religious configuration, if you like, the landscape. Uh, And that is to understand Methodism, particularly in the United States, you need to understand that there are really two elements to Methodism which were both very important to John Wesley but have got somewhat separated in a Methodism in America particularly today. One is what you could call the tradition of disciplines and virtues and habits, the way temperance for example became in, uh, significant in Methodism, the way c- the class structure, I don't mean by that in terms of working class and so on, I mean the the small group system that the Methodists evolved empowered particularly working class people to take control of their lives and and its most obvious legacy is actually the trade union movement. Uh, But there's another kind of Methodism which has mostly been in the majority and probably still is in America, which is revivalist Methodism that's all about the movements of the spirit in your soul and your heart. And Fanny Crosby, is possibly the chief exponent of that second kind, which still kind of uneasily coexists in American Methodism uh, today, which for the next few months will still be the largest single denomination in America until it inevitably splits over sexuality, as we're all doomed to do. Um, So the theology behind that, uh, that notion of your, of, of, of the movement of the heart and the spirit is what's known as blessed assurance. So there's a significance behind the hymn that we just sang. The doctrine of insur- assurance, sometimes known as the witness of the spirit, um, states that the inner witness of the Holy Spirit allows the Christian disciple to know that they are justified. Um, it actually, like most theological dis- uh, distinctions, it dates back to Augustine in the fourth century. It was Significant in early Lutheranism and Calvinism during the Reformation, uh, it remains distinctive in Methodism, uh, but also features in Quakerism in a slightly different sense. So, of course, it goes back to John Wesley. He believed that all Christians have a faith that implies an assurance of God's forgiving love, and that one would feel it. If you remember the words of Romans 8, 15 and 16, you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father, It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a kind of certainty. So in Wesley's Aldersgate experience, just three or four miles up the road, well, less than that, a couple of miles up the road from here, Wesley knew that he was loved by God and that his sins were forgiven. As he said in his diary, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken my sin, even mine. That heart strangely warmed, if you like, is the foundation the whole of that revivalist Methodist tradition, and Fanny Crosby's music, well, Fanny Crosby's words uh, set to music were, if you like, the, the, the throbbing lifeblood of how that was expressed in revivalist Methodism in the late 19th century and beyond. We're now going to hear three settings of Fanny Crosby's hymns and songs uh, all from different contexts but all giving what I described earlier as a sort of a more of a veneer of sophistication to what has really been a populist religious tradition. Well, the, the big secret, of course, about Fanny Crosby uh, is that uh, she chose some very uh, good people to write her music, and William Doane was chief among them. She wrote 8,000 hymns, as I was saying earlier. William Doane set to music 2,000 of them. Quite, uh, quite a partner in crime. Uh, and, it, of course, it's, it's kind of the music as much as the words that carries you. Uh, so he played a very fundamental role. We're going to uh, sing again now, uh, all of us, as we did at the beginning. And we're going to sing To God Be the Glory, which is an interesting hymn from a number of points of view. Along with Blessed Assurance, it's pretty much the only one of, um, of Fanny Crosby's hymns that's sung in a, in a church like St. Martin's these days. Uh, It it was always fairly popular in the UK, but it wasn't popular in the US until it was adopted by the Billy Graham Crusades in the early uh, 1950s, and then it experienced an enormous uh, revival. What's significant about this hymn? Well, I did a little bit of maths while we were enjoying the last three pieces uh, that the voices sang for us. I think... Those three pieces, the word I appears around 15 times. If you include that to the pronouns me and my, you can probably take that out to about 40 times. I think the hymns are really, they're kind of about God, but they're kind of really about me and what's happening in my heart and soul. This one isn't, this one actually is about God. Now that might seem strange. Gosh, Fanny Crosby, she actually wrote a hymn that was about God and not about our own feelings. Well, but that's the kind of the heart of it. She was the great poet of the feelings of people affected by Methodism and its offshoots in the late 19th uh, century but this is an unusual hymn this isn't really a, the word me doesn't appear the word I doesn't appear in this hymn I think you've got one to us but we'll let her get away with that um, that's the significance of this hymn obviously it's the tune that carries it again we remain seated and the voices will stand and lead us as we sing to God be the glory <laughs> Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music uh, for this week. I hope you've enjoyed yourself, if you have. There are multiple ways to uh, donate to our work here and to the sustenance of Great Sacred Music and other programs like it. Uh, There are details on the sheet. You can text, you can go on the website, you um, you can flash your credit card across a little machine that you'll see on your way out Uh, and you can even give cash, which is a truly remarkable thing that we've just invented post-pandemic. Thank you for any contributions you're in a position to make. Uh, Do have a look on your handouts for future Great Sacred Music and Choral Classics events on Sunday afternoons and on Thursday lunchtimes. We hope for the foreseeable future till Judgment Day or even beyond if we have Great Sacred Music in heaven. Um, And do... uh, Downstairs to the shop and, and, and the cafe and enjoy the life of St. Martin's as we gradually warm our life back up after a rather chilly couple of years. Um, I, I guess you can tell I've got a bit of an agenda today, which is more or less summarised in don't too easily patronize Fanny Crosby and her songs and her music. Uh, you know, you probably would have noticed in To God Be the Glory, we don't get lines like the vilest offender who truly believes too often in hymns these days. So it's a bit of a period piece in its way. Um, but as I hope I, I, I've shown, it's, uh, it, it, it's it's crucial to understanding what the nature of popular spirituality and popular faith was, particularly in America in the late 19th century, which obviously still has huge effects today. And again, if you if you ignore the role of, of popular Methodism and its offshoots in the Holiness Movement, uh, then you miss out on a great deal of what Protestants is about, even in terms of the, the, you know, the, the great divide in American society today. I, can, I think you can trace a lot of it back to the late 19th century and the revivalist movement. So just a couple more thoughts on assurance and the doctrine of assurance. In 1738, John Wesley wrote, the assurance of which I alone speak I should not choose to call an assurance of salvation but rather the assurance of faith. This is not the essence of faith but a distinct gift of the Holy Ghost whereby God shines upon his own work and shows us that we are justified through faith in Christ. What what he's talking about is that kind of certainty you sometimes get when people say they've been born again. It's It's that sense that they are certain that despite their own shortcomings they are justified with God. And that's really what Blessed Assurance uh, is all about. So I challenged you at the beginning to, to see if you, uh, if you felt that with a slightly more sophisticated settings uh, and a bit of theological and historical background, you felt uh, Fanny Crosby uh, was uh, a more serious theologian than she's usually given credit for. Um, I'm going to ask you to listen to uh, where, to go back to where we started to listen to Uh, a more sophisticated setting of blessed assurance and then draw your own conclusions. Thanks for joining us.